Is it a sin to drink alcohol? This is a question that many Christians have at one point or another. And it looks like in our current society or culture, Western society, that a majority of people, a majority of Christians have decided that as a matter of fact, it is allowable. There's no problem with it. And if you ask people from more conservative Christian communities, they'll tell you that it is definitely a sin. There's absolutely no question about it. And it's just very interesting, the diversion between the two cultures and communities that on one hand, we have people of the same religion who wholeheartedly believe that it's a sin. On the other hand, we have people who think that it's completely allowable. Although many people who think it's allowable will tell you that there's definitely the potential for destruction and it is a risk. It's playing with fire. They will definitely admit this and they'll continue to partake in it anyways. And I'm not talking about binge drinking. It's clear in the Bible that getting drunk is not okay. Binge drinking is not okay. And you must remain sober-minded. The thing about remaining sober-minded is where exactly is that line? That's a really hard thing to figure out. I would say one drink is already affecting you. And most people will tell you this, um, that even just one drink already psychologically affects you. And I remember when I worked at a restaurant that they told us this in the training, that even just one drink is already psychologically impacting. And so that when we give somebody, serve somebody a drink, that we must pay attention to their signs and make sure that they're not intoxicated in any way. Because some people can get intoxicated from one drink. It's different for everyone. A large person can easily have one drink and have no intoxication. A smaller person can drink the same amount and get drunk. And so there's no way to really figure out where that line is, how much drink you can have, and what, how much feeling, I guess, you can receive from the alcohol for it to not be considered a sin. For example, if there's a certain sensation of euphoria, which alcohol does bring, is that the point of intoxication or is it when you start really losing your motor skills where exactly is that point we don't know or is it even imperceptible i would say anything above a communion amount is already physiologically psychologically affecting us in some way and we are intoxicated at that point anything beyond just a few drops. So most Christians nowadays have decided that it's not a sin and it's not really discussed in churches because it's a very divisive topic. And it's a gray area. That's the key point is that it is a gray area. There's a lot of things in life that are gray areas that it's not specifically stated in the Bible as to what or how we can use this. And even if it does speak of certain things in the Bible, or it does reference these things, there's still some kind of, it's still subject to interpretation in a lot of cases. And even if it is referenced, therefore it's, it can still be a gray area. But alcohol is one of those things that is definitely a gray area because you have people who tell you that it's allowable and then people that tell you that it's absolutely not and you will perish if you drink at all. One of the main justifications for being able to drink or allowing yourself that is that Wine is referenced so many times in the Bible and that Jesus himself drank wine and everybody drank wine. Now, I'll say that that's not even a great argument because our world is so much different. People didn't have access to clean water like we do now. And so a lot of death and disease happened from that, 
from water. And so when you have alcohol or any amount of alcohol in a drink, then that removes that risk of dying from water. So we don't even know what kind of alcohol they had, you know, what kind of wine they had. It could have been a very, very light wine. And I'd imagine if it was a light wine or basically a grape juice with as little alcohol as possible. I can imagine that'd be the case, especially if they were drinking it on such regular occasion because there's just no way everybody was walking around drunk all the time. Otherwise, nothing would have really gotten done and we wouldn't really have progressed as a society. So that's the main argument, I would say, against that sort of justification. Now, I'm not here to say, though, that that means that it is a sin. Because the fact is, it's one of these things that it's very easy to get away with without having any kind of negative impact on your life whatsoever. And ultimately, sin is things that God feels has the potential to disconnect us from him and to put us onto a further reliance of the flesh moving us away from the spirit in other words sin is a thing that god is trying to help us with he's trying to tell us that this is going to hurt you in some way and it's very easy to get away with drinking a glass of wine or a drink you know once a week or twice a week your whole life without really realizing any kind of negative consequences or so it seems and so it's really easy to question it in the beginning, but then ultimately falling into the position of acceptance, which is what happens for the most part of gray areas. In the beginning, we initially have a lot of questions and the Holy Spirit will tell us that there is this question mark on this thing and we'll start questioning it. We'll start questioning it nonstop in our brain. But if we don't have enough negative reasons and there's enough also allowable reasons for example a very big reason why a lot of people say it's okay is just because of the fact that everybody does it and a lot of christians do it there's it's hard to find christians that don't drink nowadays and so everybody does it and it's like not possible it seems that all of these christians are going to perish you know and so that's one of the easiest ways for us to justify. And I mean, that's a very, very, very powerful justification. That is a very powerful justification. We can easily fall into traps when we're considering things that the masses are doing, especially if they're all Christians. So matters of gray areas. They always begin where we, if we choose to partake in them because we feel like enough people are partaking or we have enough positive reasons for it. If we do choose to partake in them, what will happen is we will still have these questions in our mind in the beginning. And as we continue to partake, what we continue to further rely on the flesh through these actions because there's no gray areas in matters of the spirit. Any sort of matter of the flesh is a gray area. Anything that involves the flesh is a gray area. The spirit is virtue. There's no gray area in virtue. And all the gray area always comes from flesh because flesh is the problem, the problem of the spirit. So eventually we continue to partake. Our flesh enjoys it and our flesh is powerful and we reinforce the feelings of our flesh because we continue to partake. And eventually, the questions in our mind, they calm down, they get quieter and quieter. And then ultimately, you might arrive to a point where you don't even think about it anymore. And you probably, if you thought about it, or if somebody asked you, you'd say, you think there's like a 99%, if you were honest, at least, you would say you think that there's a 99% probability that it's not a sin and a 1% chance that it is. And therefore, you don't really think there's a risk. But honestly, you would not even think about that 1% because humans, we're very good at sort of taking a 99% and turning that into 100, essentially. Anything, I mean, even when it comes to 
for example, gambling or something, if somebody gave you an 80% probability chance of winning, you would probably not feel worried at all going all in. Because in our minds, we're very good at taking that 80% and turning it into 100%. And so if you feel like there's an 80% probability that this is a sin or 90% or whatever, you're not really going to consider the remainder eventually. And you'll just continue to partake. And you probably won't have any issues in your whole life. You probably will be okay. You probably will still feel connected with God and you'll still feel led and you'll still have blessings. And that will definitely make you feel better about it. Now, one thing that I have to mention, though, is in terms of blessing and in terms of gauging our connection, our spirituality based on the blessings that we have in terms of material possessions and in terms of, you know, friendships, relationships, all these things that we have on this world. Oftentimes when we see that everything is going well for us, we feel like, for example, if we have a great job, if we have if we're making money, you know, if if we don't really have any big issues in our life and we're in general at peace, then we just consider ourselves to be in a good position with God. And we think that we're blessed and we're not doing anything incorrectly. The thing is, this is a trap because we live in a world that it's hard to mess up now. It's really difficult to mess up. It's just, especially if if we are in a place like the USA. The USA is so abundant with opportunity. And it's just such a realistic thing to succeed here in every single facet in life. There's so many systems, infrastructures here. It's almost really hard not to live an amazing life. And of course, we know that many, many non-Christians live amazing life. And if you were to question, and if you didn't know this person's personality, you might think that they're blessed by God. But it's just, it's a trap. You know, we can't gauge our circumstance or gauge the things that we have to say that because we have these things, because everything is okay, because I'm not stressed or whatever, that means that I am one with God and that I'm not doing anything. And especially if we don't have any sort of looming questions or no guilt in our minds, then it's a very easy thing to justify and say that we're blessed. And I mean, I'll admit, I do that in my life personally. If I see problems around, I start to think, what is going wrong? What am I doing wrong? And Usually the first thing that I think is I must be upsetting God in some way. I must be not being blessed by him in some way. And when I look around and everything is great and I have no problems, uh, I usually think that it's because it's the blessing of God. And I really do believe it is because of the blessing of God. But there's just been times where everything has been really really smooth in my life even though I wasn't really passionate about God like I should have been I wasn't really pursuing him like I should have been I wasn't necessarily sinning and I didn't have guilt but I wasn't pursuing him in any way shape or form I was not putting really the energy necessary to build a relationship with him there's been many cases but since I looked around and everything felt like it was going smoothly in my life, I chalked that up to God's blessing and that he was leading me and everything was going well. But when I think about it more, I realize that the world has changed to such a vast degree that it's very difficult for us to not have blessings. You really just need to be driven, have motivation, and even if you're not wise or intelligent whatsoever, we have access to the internet, which allows us to really have an endless amount of information and do anything we want. In other words, we could do anything we want. We can achieve anything we want. We could get lucky. We could become millionaires. We could have everything we want and feel like we are being blessed by God. And we won't even question it. 
This is what a lot of us do, and I've done this too. But we have to remember that we're not just here to receive material possession. We're not just here to enjoy life. That's not our purpose here. Happiness isn't a thing that is achievable or sustainable. So we have to really step back and see where our relationship is with God, how we are virtuously and whether we are virtuous or not, and whether we act in virtue and in love and how much we do so. In other words, it's just a very difficult thing to really see whether or not we have God's blessing. And many people, bringing this back to alcohol, many people, they attribute success to being God's blessing And so, therefore, they continue to allow themselves and justify certain behaviors, which they know inside to be gray areas. Because they figure if this was a sin, then God would not be blessing us so abundantly. And sometimes also it's important to note God does bless us through all of these things for a long time. I mean, this is usually the case anyways. He gives us a lot of room for error. He will continue blessing us for a long, long time. And usually he'll keep nudging us and telling us, hinting. The Holy Spirit, of course, will. As I said, the Holy Spirit will continue nudging and hinting to us that this is a sin and that we should really question this. But he's not just going to all of a sudden take away your blessing because he's he's a patient God. You know, he's our father. And a father has to be patient. He's trying to wait. He's not going to take everything away the moment we make a mistake. He's going to try to allow us to figure things out. And so it is possible to maintain and continue having God's blessing through sin. In a certain way, of course. As long as... As long as... You continue striving towards pursuing Jesus and you have a genuine heart, a genuine repentant heart. Of course, because we're all sinners. That's my point. So we could still have God's blessing despite being sinners. But God expects us to continue to grow our spirits and progress forth. So bringing this back to alcohol. So, ultimately, we know that alcohol is a gray area. And I'm not here to give you the correct answer because the correct answer doesn't exist. And that's with all matters of gray area because, well, first and foremost, there's nothing in the universe that we could truly know. And this is one of those things that is clearly, very clearly a gray area. So, if it is a gray area, when you partake in the thing, Essentially what you're saying is that I'm willing to risk the 10% or whatever percent probability that I'm wrong and that this is a sin. You're putting your spirit on the line is what you're doing. And what is more valuable than the spirit? You're basically playing a game and gambling your spirit. And even though you have a 90% certainty that you're correct or 99% certainty You're putting all your chips on black, all of your money, everything, but beyond money. Since the spirit is the most valuable, the most timeless, the thing that we're here for, we are the spirit and we're here to overcome the flesh. The spirit is the most valuable thing that there is that we have, that we hold. It's a piece of God himself. And so basically what we're doing when we choose to partake in a gray area is we are putting our spirit onto that table, all on black. And even if there's a 90% probability, we are taking a 90% probability chance 
that we're correct and that this isn't a sin. Now, if you truly value something, would you ever risk giving it away? If you fell in love with a person and you love this person beyond any explanation, would you risk losing them? Would you do anything to lose that person ever? And especially, would you risk losing that person for a momentary feeling? The point is that you're putting on the line an infinite thing for an experience that lasts a few hours and that kills your brain cells that destroys your body, that slowly kills you. It's a poison. So not only are you putting your spirit on the line and risking your spirit, you're killing your flesh, even with a very small amount of alcohol. And you don't, you never know, you can never know what kind of impact killing even a few brain cells could possibly have upon you because our brains are one of our most valuable possessions in this earth and a cancer cell starts just from one it doesn't need to grow i mean it doesn't need to it doesn't start from a large a tumor starts from one cell essentially or you know very few cells so to even risk one brain cell, to even risk two brain cells, you know, there's value in that. There is very, there's a very large amount of value in that. Do you want to take the risk? The correct question is not whether alcohol is a sin. The correct question that we should be asking is, should I partake in gray areas? Should I partake in matters that I can't simply find the answer to, but I feel with a very high certainty that this thing is not a sin? The question is, do we partake in matters that lie in the realm of gray areas that we don't know? And my answer to that is absolutely not because I value the spirit. And there is nothing in this world that is worth even risking even for a millionth of a percent of a chance. There is nothing in the world that's worth risking my spirit. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And so you're partaking in this gray area. And you have chosen to not value your spirit like God intended. And this can apply to many different matters, not only alcohol, but many matters of, I mean, anything that's a gray area, basically. This, this, is, this is how you get the answer. If you don't know the answer to the question then that means you have to go the other way because the only place that you should be is in the realm of the spirit where everything is certain, where love exists to the highest degree, where virtue is everything. Now, furthermore, when we drink, what exactly are we doing? Because I'll argue that really, I personally feel like there's a higher chance that it is a sin than not, even one drink. I'm talking about a very small amount. Whereas in the past, I would have thought that, or I did think that it wasn't a sin, you know, or that 
it was a 90% probability of not being a sin. But as I grow older, now I have started to go the other direction. And I feel that there is a very high probability that it is a sin. And the reason for that is because it is simply a matter of the flesh that is not necessary to our survival whatsoever. So the things that we're allowed to partake in when it comes to matters of the flesh is things that are minimally intrusive that are required for us to sustain our spirit. Because our spirit and our flesh are a union of one. You know, we're not able to just do away and absolutely not give any room to our flesh. You know, we are still flesh and we are beings of the flesh. So there's always going to be a certain degree of reliance on it. And we're always going to have to appease the flesh in certain ways. For example, we still have to eat. We can't not eat. But eating is the minimal requirement that doesn't stand in the way of our spirit. I mean, that allows our spirit to thrive. You know, it allows us to learn and go through the fire here on earth. We eat so that we can learn and grow our spirit more. So the things of the flesh that we are allowed to partake in or that we can partake in are those things that are only absolutely necessary to our flesh. Is alcohol necessary to our flesh? What we're doing when we drink at all is saying that in this, during this moment in time, I want to feel a good feeling. I want to appease my flesh. There's no other reason to drink. Some people will say a glass of red wine is healthy for the heart. That is, that could be true. You know, there could be some value in it, but is that necessary? Can you get that same value or more without any alcohol? And the answer is yes, you definitely can. And the reason people choose the wine is because whether or not you really believe it. The reason you would choose the wine is because you like the feeling it gives you. And even if you say that it doesn't give you any feeling, your brain has a certain psychological addiction to it already, even a small amount. Because you might not necessarily feel it, but it could give you a mood change. And your brain will become addicted to that very minor shift in your mood. So any matter of the flesh, we just can't really be certain whether or not we're addicted to it because or whether or not we're doing it because of the fleshly desire, because all of these things, they are very subject to the lies that our body tells us because our body is such an adaptable creation that it's literally built in with efficiency in mind and with the ability to cleanse us of toxins and to integrate bad things and still continue to survive as long as possible. In other words, the flesh is very, very good at lying to us. And it is a very visceral thing. So we can often ignore the spirit and simply rely on the flesh. It's a very easy trap to fall into. Because the spirit is such an ethereal type of thing, you know, it's such a non-thing. It's like empty space. So any matter of the flesh is so incredibly powerful in front of that spirit. So if you give any room to that flesh... It's going to be very difficult for you to convince yourself to stop that thing. When you drink, the statement that you're making is right now at this point in time, I don't have enough peace in my heart that I can move forward without having a drink, which means that you are not full. You are not holy. 
you are not whole because there would be absolutely no reason being that there is not a necessary reason in terms of our survival to drink when you drink you're making a statement and saying that i do not have the highest amount of peace the highest amount of godly peace that's possible and in order to fill that remainder and enjoy myself for a period of time to satisfy myself i'm going to drink whereas the correct approach if you were to have only to the extreme the highest reliance upon the spirit there would be absolutely no question you would absolutely not even for a split second feel any sort of desire to have a drink because the drink provides nothing to you because you are full you are at peace you are whole with one you have nothing else to need that is what peace is and all you're doing when you're taking a drink is you are caving into your flesh's desire aren't we here on earth as christians to overcome our flesh how can we justify this how can we justify this thing of the flesh and only of the flesh beyond this if you're looking for pragmatic reasons not to do it not to drink one big reason to not drink is because you'll never ever know what you could have become what i mean by that is there begins to become a habit where a couple times a week or once a week on a consistent basis you'll have a drink at the end of the day and you may think that oh i wasn't going to do anything productive during that time anyways i was just going to relax anyways so why not just relax with a drink and also it's important to note that relaxation is okay because it's necessary it's a it's a necessary appeasement of the flesh in other words but you might be able to tell yourself that it's okay because i wasn't going to be productive anyways and that's the the really scary very dangerous thing about matters of gray areas it's like we know that angel that we know that satan came down as the angel of light which means fundamentally that he was bringing himself down as or he was thrown down as 99% truth maybe 1% lies and that's kind of what a what a gray area is essentially satan is very good at tricking wise people with that 99% versus 1 he'll bring 99% truth but take you down a path towards your destruction with just 1% of a lie 1% of the that being a lie it's more dangerous for us now in the age of information where we know everything than we know we know what is definitely a sin you know we know based on the commandments you know we know certain things are definitely sins and we can easily avoid those things not a problem whatsoever but then we go into the next layer of spirituality because the the growth the journey of spirituality never ceases to be so we go to this next layer of spirituality where now we have to or rather where 
we have to cleanse ourselves of things that might lead us to bad things. Because once you've cleansed your life of bad things, you can't just stop right there because we aren't ever going to... The flesh is always going to tempt us. So the next step is to do the best you can to create systems in your life that will absolutely prevent you ever falling into any certain sin. Any sin that you know is definitely sin. And if you're not obsessed with doing this all the time, then ultimately there will become there will be times where you are weak, where you fall into traps and do things that are definitely sin. You have to become obsessed with setting up systems that prevent you from even even going towards things that could lead you to sin. So beyond that, you would take another step and you could continue taking those steps. Basically, we in this earth, if we are just standing still and motionless, we will be invaded. We can't we have to we have to fight fire with fire, essentially, with spirituality, with things of the spirit. We we can't just sit still. We know that if we don't pursue God and we don't do the things that strengthen our relationship and connection with him that we are very we will be invaded by the enemy and simply not sinning is not enough you have to take the next step you have to make sure you're prepared for the future because if you're honest with yourself we all know that we're sinners and we're so flawed and we will continue to sin. And the only way we could really overcome this is by fighting nonstop and never stopping to fight and always being on the fighting side. You can never play defense. That's the important thing to know. You can't just play defense and you have to play offense in the long run. There can be a certain amount of time that you'll be fine. But eventually you'll get taken down by sin because sin leaks in and seeps into all of your cells because we are of a sinful nature. And our flesh is of a sinful nature. So we have to constantly push against and play offense. Back to drinking. The logical reason and back to the idea where uh, Satan, you know, he brings 99% truth, 1% of lie. And the reason he does that is because he knows that we have quite a bit of time here on earth. That there's many days that he doesn't need to get us now. He doesn't care. As a matter of fact, he'd, he'd rather get us later. Because if he gets us now, then there's a chance that we will repent before our deaths. And that we will end up in heaven. What he wants to do is, is destroy us as close to the end of our lives as possible. He wants us to, well, he would love to have a person perish even now. But he just knows that there's a lot of wisdom and it's a very difficult thing to do because sin is just very apparent. And Jesus just made it so incredibly easy for us that he knows for him it's a very difficult task nowadays to to destroy someone to destroy a christian is what i mean it's a very difficult task for him for for people who have a relationship with god a genuine connection and 
it's just very difficult. So the better tactic for him is to do the long-term strategy, which is the 99 versus one, where all you need is 1% of a lie and that will compound in your life. That compounding will eventually lead you to death and will eventually lead you to hell or to destruction. You don't need, Satan simply doesn't need to give you 100% of the lie. There's, there's just no need because we have so much time and it compounds for such a long time that this 1% is going to continue compounding. It's like, like in the stock market. You don't need to make 50% returns a year. You only need to invest in an index fund and make 5 to 6% a year to become a millionaire or a billionaire and obviously invest consistently. A little goes a long way in the long term is the idea. And this relates back to alcohol because in the long run, most of the time, you may have not been accomplishing anything during that time anyway, so you've justified drinking. During the evening, you, for example, let, let me say for myself, let me, let's say I got into the habit of drinking every week, you know, as a relaxation tactic after a week well done, you know, it was a motivator for me. I worked my whole week and I worked really hard and so I felt like I really deserved the drink to relax you know and just enjoy my evening and so I continued this habit for my life for a long time right now even though like 99% of those Friday nights or Saturday nights or Sunday nights I was not going to be doing anything productive there could be in that grand array even just one night where I could have discovered something about myself where, for example, maybe maybe I was not during that week. I was I didn't allow myself. I wasn't drinking. Let's say let's say I, I was sober. I decided that I never I would never drink on the on the opposite end. There could be one week where I wasn't looking forward to drinking, you know, which I wouldn't have ever been looking forward to drinking. But let's say because I was never because I don't drink, I don't look forward to drinking. And therefore, my brain is always thinking on Friday nights, on Saturday nights, on Sunday nights, not how can I appease my flesh, but other questions arise, other things arise. So during that grand array of your whole entire life of consistently appeasing your flesh and drinking, what if there is even just one night where you could have had an epiphany? What if there was even one night where instead of where where you were destined to have a very strong prayer, let's say, let's say you were filled with the Holy Spirit just for one night, you were bored and you you weren't drinking, you since you don't drink, you you weren't drinking, so you for whatever reason decided to stand on your knees and pray. God filled you with the Holy Spirit. You didn't expect it. Maybe you have some prayers answered, or maybe through that prayer you have a revelation or you have some sort of epiphany. And all it takes is just one time for your whole entire life to change. Or maybe if we're not even talking about it spiritually, if we're talking about it pragmatically, where for, for secular people, where let's say one night you weren't focused on appeasing the flesh and you discovered a new skill or a new talent or a new interest you were perhaps working all day and the end of the day came and you're still working and you accomplish something and this accomplishment makes you feel grateful and happy and motivated to continue forward and therefore you continue on this great amazing journey that takes you to the place that you could have never imagined 
because all because the ultimate goal all it, it starts with one step the highest ideals they all start with one step and what you're doing is you're basically saying now for the rest of my life for every single friday night i am not going to do anything of value for my spirit but all you need is one night to change your whole entire life one night where you are holy where you are connected with the spirit where you are not distracted where you are focused and all it takes is one but we're talking about a whole entire lifetime of experience we're talking about thousands of nights thousands of opportunities to do something else endless if one can compound what can thousands do our job as christians is to move as far away from the flesh and open up as much opportunity for the spirit to thrive we have to constantly rid things that are of the flesh and do not provide benefit to the spirit and if you're saying that this does provide benefit to the spirit because it gives me joy and happiness well that's a lie because the joy and happiness is temporary and when joy and happiness joy and peace of the spirit is eternal infinite forever endless there's never going to be an end to it so if you're really truly filled with the spirit there's no room for anything else there's no desire for any any kind of any kind of temporary satisfaction there's absolutely no desire for it this even beyond that when you take after alcohol you after if you're able to quit alcohol you should even take it a step further after that for example even food the food itself is not a sin we know that gluttony is a sin though so is it gluttonous and is it a sin to eat half a pizza or whatever you know to eat a whole bunch of junk food in one night what is the purpose of this the purpose of this is only to give you a feeling a high that's what it is you would not need to eat that food if you were full spiritually what you would want is the most nutritious food possible that gives you energy that allows you to praise God and worship God and to live a life that allows your spirit to thrive if you truly were filled with the spirit and you were continuing forth with the spirit that's what you would do you would even try to rid yourself of seemingly even more trivial sources of dopamine like junk food and so we that progression has to continue we have to rid ourselves of all of these things non-stop we have to fight our whole lives and god it will be happy when you stop eating junk food it may not it may not bring you into hell immediately but it could eventually it could eventually destroy you because you could eventually get a health issue. You could suffer for 20 years of your life with a health issue, which makes you lose faith in God. So even junk food can be considered a gray area. Ultimately, what we have to do and strive for is to go to a place where we are 100% or let's say as much as possible since we always have a certain amount of flesh, where we have to always strive to as little influence of the flesh as possible and it's just absolutely not debatable that alcohol is a thing of the flesh and if you continue to partake then what you're doing is you're also saying that it's worth the risk that my spirit is worth risking for this and you're telling and you don't know if it's a sin or not nobody knows if you're honest nobody knows so you're willing to take that risk and you could die let's say 
let's say it is a sin and we didn't know. Let's say it is a sin and the person, they've truly, truly convinced themselves that it's not. But then they die and they perish and they don't end up in the kingdom of God. How do you know? How can you truly know that you will end up in heaven if you drink? You can't. What I can truly know is that if I love, that's not going to put me in hell. I know with absolute 100% certainty, with no doubt, with never having any doubt whatsoever, that there is no sin in love. There is no sin in love whatsoever. Those are the kinds of things that we should strive for. And anything that has even a wisp of doubt, we have to extinguish. And we have to fight our whole lives to extinguish. And now another pragmatic or logical reason, which I would say is a very big one that people don't really consider, is the fact of your future generations and your kids. A kid that is raised in a household where their parents drink on occasion, even if they don't get drunk, that kid will now have that opened up in their field of potential where they now believe that this thing is okay because their parents did it. I would imagine if my parents drank, I would have struggled with this a lot more. I can empathize with people who struggle with this in America because we have been raised in a culture where drinking is always acceptable everywhere in all circumstances. So, well, you know, not all circumstances, but I take that back. But anyways, the point is that it's a, such a trivial thing now and it's hard to find people that don't drink and most parents do. So think about your kids now. So your kid is raised in this household where it's okay to drink. Even though you teach your kid that you have to treat this with respect and you can't play with fire, you might know that it's a, you might really accept and know that it it's a hazard or it's like playing with fire. And you might try your best to convey that to your kid but how exactly do you know that this kid will really accept that and won't abuse it or won't eventually fall, fall down that trap? You've opened up this opportunity for your kid now to eventually possibly become an addict to to destroy their lives because you just you didn't cross that thing off the list for the kid. And now your kid grows up and now there's more uncertainty. You've basically compounded that 1% because you can tell your kid and you can teach them, but you ultimately have no control over their decisions. And by opening that possibility up for them to drink and by saying it is allowable while it's under control, you don't know. Your kid could have an addictive personality. Your kid could go through some things that they that you didn't go through that makes them more that makes them unable to overcome alcohol and your kid could grow up an alcoholic okay now let's say he doesn't grow up an alcoholic let's say your kid is fine you teach him well your kid is wise they could even go through a brief period in time where they move away from god for example they could end up at a bar or even you which is another important point when you open up the opportunity to drink and you say it's allowable, now you've opened up the opportunity to exist in a bar, to exist in a club. Because a Christian who says that it's a sin to drink will absolutely not even consider for one moment going to a bar, even if it's just to eat, you know, to have a meal. But somebody who is open to drinking will definitely start, you know, on a night out. They'll they'll have that on their list of potential places to visit will be a bar or a club. And even if they might not go, but eventually they'll probably go, you know. People who drink do visit bars. And inside a bar, what could happen? Bars and clubs are places that are highly 
that where a lot of satanic things happen. There's a lot of evil that goes on. There's a lot of sin that happens in bars. And even if you're not the one contributing to the sin, you even you even being near that sin and you existing in that environment has a psychological effect on you. And you cannot you cannot not have a certain kind of reaction because for every action there's a reaction and if you see these people it's just it's just endless it's it's endless the the changes that this does to your life and all of them are only possibly negative it's endless because because now you exist in a bar and now you see all these people drinking and so now you've justified to yourself and for your whole life that it's okay to drink there's nothing because you've seen a lot of people drinking and being social creatures we are very easily convinced by drinking i mean i'm sorry we're very easily convinced by what other people are doing so even just by that now we've set ourselves up for a lifetime of being convinced that it's okay to sin or let's say we have put ourselves in a position where we might sin where if we're in a bar we might put ourselves in a position that we're tempted to do something that like for example we're tempted to have a conversation with a woman or a man where whom we are attracted to and we we know it's a sin to have premarital to have premarital relations but we still fall into that slight temptation you know of at least getting to know someone and talking to these people and so you could easily start having a conversation with someone and no intention of you know going that all the way with that person but then you start to really like this person a lot more and this person is not a christian and they want they're okay they're in, and they're open with premarital relations and in the very beginning you're definitely against it but you really start liking this person you start considering this maybe over a period of time you start liking this person you maintain contact with them and then eventually you start convincing yourself that this is marriage material person that and they start pursuing you and start pushing you and pushing you and pushing you and eventually you slip and you fall you fall victim and you become i mean you sin you know and you you have premarital relations that's another possible thing and it's just endless you know or you could have a conversation it's just endless when you're in a location where people are doing sin and people have absolutely no desire to be pure or clean what happens is that place is filled with filth no matter what that place is seeping and is seething with filth that place will be seething with filth you have to put yourself only in social situations where there is a offense where where the people there are on the offense are fighting are fighting against the sin against the flesh and so now back to the children your kid maybe could have this experience where now they go to the bar or maybe they even just have a couple months of their lives where they where they drink but those couple months of their lives could have been the point where they discovered something about themselves that could have led them on a path that could have made them the next big thing you know the the next the next preacher or you know whatever your kid could have had this experience and missed out now maybe you lived your whole life without any sort of consequences but how do you know your kid won't and ultimately, of course, if you teach your kid not to drink, you don't know if they're going to, you don't know if they're still going to take that to heart and use that. But as a parent, you have to at least do everything you can, you know, to fight, to fight that possibility. Or maybe your kid is fine and your kid gets away the same as you. And then ultimately they have kids and they grow up watching him, your kids, your child drink, your grandkids watch your child drink. And then maybe your grandkid falls into that trap. Because the thing is, introducing something into a family, into a generation, is such a big deal because ultimately we repeat, we're sponges, and we continue down that cycle. And that's that's what we are. We're we're creatures who are built that way where we are we our children do what we do 
and their children do what we do. And I bet if we could see 20 generations before us, we would be absolutely shocked to find the similarities into how exactly we are and how they are because we are very close to that. We're very close to our ancestors. We're of them. Our genetics, our psychology, everything is everything is transferred over and psychology is even more so, I would say, transferred over. So you just never know where how many generations it's going to take to see destruction because of something and maybe it's not the alcohol that directly destroys maybe in four generations you know you've you've laid the path and every single generation after is okay with drinking none of them really ever fall victim to any destruction but let's say four or five generations later the kid drinks but then that drink lowers their inhibition and and pushes them to do a hard drug and then that hard drug will destroy them you know that hard drug is not is not going to be a gray area and then they die because of that hard drug and there is the end of your bloodline because you don't know how many generations you have in you you don't know you don't know how long your bloodline can last and we have to remember that we we have to really cherish the bloodline that we are because this is not an easy thing to continue there are so many bloodlines that have died out there are so many bloodlines that have died out we just don't know of them you know there's a lot of people out here but it doesn't take it's not very difficult to destroy a whole bloodline at all all it takes is one person one kid you know you have a kid you only have one child and you're not able to bear anymore and then this kid dies and then that's the end of your bloodline. So ultimately you can see that the risk is so beyond explanation in the grand scheme of all things, of all times, of all people. It's infinite. You can't take this risk in the scale of your lifetime even. You have to take the risk in the scale of the spirit, which is the infinite time. You have to think about all of your next generations and then also consider the fact that you're maybe destroying your body even slightly to such a small degree that prevents you from living out your best life that gives you health issues ultimately Gray areas are gray for a reason. And gray is not something that Christians are allowed to partake in. We can only partake in the pure. We should strive to partake in only the pure. And there's no other way to it. If we spend our whole lives contemplating gray areas then we waste energy, mental energy, that we have no idea where it could have led us. Because even just contemplating or questioning something takes up so much brain space. And you might tell yourself that you're not contemplating, you've decided. But ultimately, you don't have a lot of control over what your brain thinks about. It will still contemplate these questions and you can only really contemplate or have one stream of thought at one time so you're wasting an entire lifetime possibly you know you're you're spending your whole life contemplating something even if it's a small amount but you're wasting mental energy eventually that could come back to bite you we have to strive only towards purity never to appease the flesh and only do the bare minimum for appeasing the flesh that allows us just simply to survive long enough that our spirit can thrive and i believe that if our spirit does not thrive anymore 
if it stops to if it stops growing then god's blessing will cease then satan will enter and then we will lose joy and event, and we will just simply die we will perish the end of our lives will come so we have to stay very strong and avoid at all costs all of these things that are gray areas because a gray area is just an opportunity for death to enter your doorstep.